Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, we start a brand new series today, seven weeks, looking at some themes from the book of Proverbs. We're going to start with kids and parenting because it's back to school week. How many of you, your kids started school recently or even this week? That was the occasion at our house. If you're new, we've got five kids. They're coming up on birthdays, so it'll be 14, 16, 18, 20, and 22. And uh, the three younger kids all started school this week. I'll tell you what it used to be like versus what it's like today. When the kids were really little, Grace and I'd get up early, we'd get them ready for school, we'd put them in the car, always took the kids to the first day of the school. Are you okay? Are you gonna be all right? Do you need me to stay? You know, no, dad, I'm fine. You can go now. You're weird and freaking me out. So you can go, dad. So then Grace and I, I kid you not, this is exactly what we do. We'd go sit in the car and cry. That's exactly what we did. Cry, not tears of joy, tears of sadness, okay? This year, the kids are big enough, they drive themselves. It was the first year I didn't get to drive my kids to school. They got in the car, drove away, and we cried. So that, that's, uh, you know, it's just a little different, a little variation, but they're getting bigger. And then it was curious, because with school starting this week, I was out one night, somewhere shopping, and I overheard a conversation between two parents that were there with their children. And they were basically asking, hey, are you ready for back to school? And the one parent said, oh yes, I'm so glad the summer's over. I just hate having the little monsters home. And the kids are right there. I'm like, these monsters have ears and they can hear that you don't like them, you know? The other parents said, oh, I don't feel that way at all. I love having the kids around and I get sad when they go back to school. The point is that you can either endure or enjoy your children. You can either endure or enjoy your children. And I believe that God wants you to enjoy your children. And so I'll start with this principle from Psalm 127 verse three. Uh, It's a well-known scripture, but behold means pay attention, focus on this. Children are a, a gift. Some of your translations will say a blessing from the Lord. Life is sacred. Children are a gift. Every little kid running around this property today is a gift. Every kid in the room is a gift. Every pregnant lady is bringing a gift. And all of this is important because when someone gives you a gift, typically what do they want you to do with the gift? Enjoy it. That's the reason we give a gift, so that we're giving something good that they can enjoy. Your children are a gift that God gives you to enjoy. And then the question is, well, how do you do that? Because there's the want to and the how to. And in this series, we're gonna deal with a lot of things that you probably wanna do, but you don't know how to do. This is where Proverbs is of great service to each of us. And so let me give you a little introduction to Proverbs. Number one, Proverbs is practical, right? How many of you are very practical? You're practical people. How many of you are more theoretical, philosophical, theological, hypothetical? How many of you are married to each other? And it's interesting, okay? I, what do you think I am? Difficult, but yeah, in addition, <laughs> theoretical, 
theoretical. I, I like to study and read and I like philosophy and history and sociology and I like current events. Grace is very practical. So there'll be days like, hey baby, I'm studying the hypostatic union where Jesus is one person, two natures. Looking at the church creed, she's like, I, I got to do dishes. Uh, if you could take the garbage out and go pick the kids up, that would be amazing. I'm like, but I, I live in the stratosphere. She's like, I live right here. Uh, Proverbs is really practical, really practical. And so it's gonna be a lot of things that God wants you to do. Number two, Proverbs is pithy. They're short. Early in Proverbs, it sort of flows along. And then all of a sudden you're gonna reach a point as you read Proverbs and you should, but all of a sudden they'll start reading like really godly fortune cookies. That's what it's gonna read like. And as you're reading Proverbs, know that there are 31 chapters. And so you could take a chapter a day and read through Proverbs about once a month, which is what I'm encouraging and asking you to do for the duration of this series. But they're very short. And, and, and the point is this, that sometimes you gotta break something down to bite-sized chunks. Like when you're feeding your kids, you know, you need to chop it up so that that portion size is appropriate. Proverbs is packed with protein. It's very healthy for your soul, but it's little bite-sized chunks so that you can remember and God's people can remember and your children can remember uh, this wisdom that God has for you. It's like Twitter stole their whole concept from Proverbs. It just, it just kind of reads like God's Twitter account. Number uh, three, uh, Proverbs has principles, not promises. This is important. Promises are, I guarantee if you do this, this will happen, cause effect. Principles are, it generally goes, if you do this, it tends to go like that. But let me ask you this, is there any such thing as a promise in parenting? No. So if you read a book, if you grab one of those Christian parenting books and it's like, do it this way and your kids will be like this, set the book on fire because it's written by liars. Set the book on fire. There is no cause, effect, clear correlation. I've seen good parents raise some bad kids. I've seen bad parents raise good kids. Uh, you know, kids have their own free will. They make their own decisions. There are cultural and biological and other forces that are impinging upon them. It's not just your parenting leads to the outcome. There's a lot else that is going on. And so Proverbs is principled, it's about tools, not rules. It's principled without promises. That being said, um, we're gonna jump in in a moment, but I want you to see as you read Proverbs that different genres of the Bible and its literature will have different themes. Sometimes it'll be God versus Satan. Sometimes it'll be truth versus lies. Sometimes it'll be the kingdom versus the culture. Um, sometimes it'll be sin versus grace. And, and also what happens in Proverbs, it's wisdom and folly. As you read it, those are the categories. Some things are sinful, some things aren't sinful. They're just dumb, amen? They're just foolish. They don't make any sense. It's, it's like, well, I, I don't think you're gonna go to hell for that, but I know that life is gonna be painful because that's a foolish decision. And so Proverbs is really about foolishness versus wisdom. And let me say this, there is a difference, a significant difference between being smart and being wise. Some of the, some of the smartest people are some of the most evil people. 
God doesn't want you to just be smart. He wants you to be wise. Smart people get good grades. Wise people live good lives. If you wanna get knowledge today, where do you go? You go to college. Let me ask you, will you also find wisdom there? Have you been to college campus? <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's not the place to go for wisdom because our culture values knowledge, not wisdom. Wisdom is the path to spirit-filled living. When we read in the New Testament, be filled with the spirit, be led by the spirit as Jesus was filled and led by the spirit, that ultimately walking in wisdom is the path to spirit-filled living. The Holy Spirit, he is called repeatedly in the New Testament, the spirit of wisdom. And so to walk with the spirit is to walk in the wisdom of God. And that's what God wants to impart to you when you study the book of Proverbs. Now that being said, where to start on parenting? We'll start in Proverbs chapter one, verses two through seven, help you to find the center of your family. Now, let me just say this too. This is a significant sermon for all of you. And some of you are like, I'm not a parent, but you were parented. And your parenting may have impacted, affected positively and negatively how you view God, yourself and the world. And I want you to revisit your parenting, not to get bitter against your parents, but by God's grace to do better than your parents. And the hope and prayer and goal is that every generation makes some progress and there's more wisdom and momentum toward godliness and toward the kingdom of God. So as we jump into this, Proverbs 1 says, there, the book of Proverbs, purpose. So it tells us, here's what the purpose of the book is, is to teach people. And, and this is important for parenting. When your child is born, what do they know? Nothing. It, some of you are shocked by that. You're like, do you not know anything? They're like, I just got here. I have no prior experience to draw from. Um, didn't do a lot of reading in the womb. Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't, I, you gotta teach me. Everything has to be taught. Some people are just, they're not informed. They're not ignorant. They're not lacking the mental capacity. They just haven't had the wisdom poured into their soul. So the purpose of Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline. The goal of parenting is not to control the child, but to have the child grow in self-control. This is where helicopter parents and overparenting and high control parenting, they're always hovering and controlling. No, the goal is that ultimately you're not gonna be there. They're gonna make their own decisions. They need to learn discipline so that they can be self-disciplined because you can't be a disciple of Jesus without learning about discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Some people are foolish, some people are evil, some people are wise, attune your ear to those who are wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. God wants life to flourish. God wants it to be blessed. God wants it to be good for you and the people in your family to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, Knowledge and discernment to the young. Proverbs is a parenting book and it's great for little kids. So maybe it's a little kid that doesn't know much. Proverbs is a good place to talk to them. In addition, some people are simple, meaning they haven't been taught much. They didn't really get parented. Their household was not a place where wisdom was prevalent. Proverbs is a great place to start. Next slide, please. But in addition, 
uh, let the wise, so some of you are wise. Some of you have life experience. Some of you uh, know the Lord. Some of you have walked with the Lord. Some of you have made good decisions. Some of you come from generations of really not perfect, but godly families. And you've really been benefited by that. Well, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. The, the way that wisdom is applied is through humility. A humble person is, I don't know at all. I've always got something to learn. A proud person, you can't teach them anything. Those who are wise are seeking to add to their wisdom. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meanings in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's the bottom line. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Okay? If you've ever tried to feed a child, what do they need to do? Open their mouth. How many of you have tried to feed a kid with a closed mouth? God's a father, you're his kid. He's trying to feed you wisdom. You gotta open your mouth. You gotta open your heart. You gotta open your mind. You gotta open your life and say, okay, God, you know, nourish my soul so that I can grow in health. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. They don't listen, they don't learn. Now, what he's saying here is this, that everything begins with God. It's about being God first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or foundation of wisdom. So what I wanna say is this, that every home, the home you grew up in, and I, I want you to examine that, whatever lifestyle you're now living, if you are married and or have children or are grandparents, your family system is architected with a center that determines the priorities. How do you know what the center of your family is? Look at the schedule. Look at the budget, look at the spending, look at the energy, look at the arguments, look at the conversations. And you will determine very quickly and clearly what the center of your home is. And, and this is crucial because we're not just raising children, we're raising children in the context of a family system. Now, this being said, our universe has a lot of planets that are held together because there is a center that serves as the gravitational force that keeps it all in orbit. Similarly, God architects homes and wants you to architect your home so that there is a center around which everyone orbits. And as a result, your family system remains intact. I'll give you some, some negative examples of what I'm talking about. Let's say that the center of your family is school, and education, what is the priority? Grades. This is where the parents put a lot of pressure on the child to get good grades, to take good tests, to get into a good college so that they can have a good degree. Is it a sin to go to college? No, it's not, but it is a sin to make education the center of the family. In addition, some families, it's not school, it is sports. Sports is the center of the family. And then the priority becomes winning at all costs. Right, any of you put your kids into select sports? It's like a cult. They take all your money and control your whole life. That's what select sports are like. You guys didn't laugh like the 9 a.m. So now we know that we have all the jock dads here at the 11. Thanks for joining us. Now. That being said, is it a sin to play sports? No, it's not. But if sports becomes the center of the home, then the priority is always the sports. 
We don't have time for God. We don't have time for a day off. We don't have time for church. Why? Because sports, that's the center and winning is the priority. How about this one? For some families, money is the center, then work becomes the priority. You're gonna need money, right, to feed your family. But at the end of the day, if money is your center, then the priority is work. That's why some of you grew up in homes where mom and dad were at work all the time and nobody really parented you and everybody was just overextended at work and they were underinvolved at home. It's because the center was making money and going to work and, and achieving in the marketplace, not in the home. How about this one? For some families, the center is fear. You had a bad childhood. You were abused. You were traumatized. You were neglected. You were mistreated. You were wounded. But you've not healed from that. You've not recovered from that. You've not gotten help, maybe even professional help for that. And the result is that you have a lot of fears and getting married sort of exposes those fears. And then when the kids come, well, now your fears just skyrocket into orbit. What if this happens to them? What if this happens? And so all of a sudden, if fear is the center, control becomes the priority. I need to control everyone and everything and get the outcome. And why? Because I love and protect everybody. It's like, you're not the sovereign that rules over the providential details. He is, and you need to trust him but fear can be the center of the home. I'll give you another example. Uh, for some families, the center of the home is comfort or convenience or leisure. Then the priority is leave me alone. Some dads have got their own room. It's like that's dad's room. And when he's in there, you can't go in there. It's, that's not how it's supposed to be. If a kid needs you, you're still the parent. But some parents are like, hey, I'm watching TV. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm going out to the garage. I'll be in the man cave. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Well, then the priority is comfort or convenience, but it's not Christ. And some families, they don't have a well-architected system. If you come back, and I would encourage you to come back, in this series, we're gonna talk about how to develop a plan to architect a universe for yourself and your family. That being said, some families don't really have a plan. They, they haven't architected anything. And what happens then is the center of their family is the latest crisis. And then the priority becomes drop everything and go deal with the crisis. Then the family's operating more like a fire department. We wait for smoke and flames and then we grab a hose and respond. And for some of you, you, that's why you're exhausted. That's why you're overwhelmed. For some of you, this is why you don't have a healthy family because it's not according to God's priorities. It's according to the latest crisis, some of which can be prevented through wisdom and planning. We'll get into some of that. That being said, according to Proverbs 1, here is the argument that I wanna architect that the center of the family should be who? God. God-centered, God first. Some of you are single. You're like, what does this have to do with me? God first in your life. God at the center of your life. Everyone and everything orbiting around your relationship with God. And then you marry someone that is God-centered. You can have a God-centered marriage. And then you can make babies and raise kids in an environment that is God-centered. This means that scripture and prayer and relationship with God and his people is the first, highest, and greatest priority. 
And then the priority sets all of the decisions for the family. Every family has a center and every family makes their decisions and their priorities according to that center. Now, let me say this, God's to be the center and then the priority is to be wisdom. That's what Proverbs 1 is saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So begin with God and then wisdom. That's what he is telling us. Here's what this means. Your home is a school and it's supposed to be a school of wisdom. How many of you did not grow up in a home that was a school of wisdom? And some parents will ask, how should I educate my kids? You could do public, private, home, charter, whatever, pick whatever works. But know this, every Christian parent also homeschools. What do I mean by that? They're with you more than they are their teacher. They're with you every year and their teachers change every year. And that they might go to school and receive knowledge, but home needs to be a classroom for instruction and wisdom. And this is one of the great problems that we're having. I'm, I'm kind of off my notes, not that I really have many notes, but, 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 but many of us were raised in a generation where a non-Christian psychologist dominated parental training. And basically he said, children are basically good. You just need to give them a nourishing environment and build their self-esteem so that they can become the fullness of their greatness. And it didn't work. It's why we're selfish. It's why we're broken. We don't know that we're sinners who need a savior. We don't know that we're fools who need wisdom. We don't know that we're rebels who need God. So you have a lot of people that have a high self-esteem, but a painful life. And God's intent is that you would enjoy your life with your kids. So that the key to this is differentiating between what I'll call knowledge and wisdom. Our entire educational system is to impart knowledge, not wisdom. Knowledge is not bad, but knowledge is not the end. It's a means to an end. I'll give you some examples. Knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the truth. Knowledge fills your mind, wisdom guides your life. You ever met really smart people that make really bad decisions? It's because they have knowledge in a field, but they don't have wisdom. Knowledge is truthful, wisdom is useful. And knowledge provides information, but wisdom provides transformation. That's the key. The goal is not information, but transformation that God would change the character of the person to be more like the character of Christ. Then the question is, well, okay, if God is the center and wisdom is the priority, where do you go to get wisdom? I'll give you a couple. Number one, the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. It says of Jesus when he was a boy in Luke two, that he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God. How did Jesus grow in wisdom from the childhood years to the adult years. The Bible is clear that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, again, he is the spirit of wisdom and he has inspired the scriptures to be written and he wants to illuminate the path of your life to follow in his wisdom. And so it's literally just stopping and saying, Holy Spirit, I need help. Uh, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I'm reading, I'm learning, I'm, I'm available, I'm teachable. I, I wanna be like Jesus, please help. And I just promise you this, 
If you will open yourself to the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit, he can overcome the pain of your past and he can architect for you a new future. Number two, uh, it's also found wisdom is in the Bible. This is, this is filled with wisdom. This is wisdom from God. This is the word of God. So the more that you are into scripture and the more you get scripture into you, the wiser by God's grace you can become. And again, it's not how much Bible you read, it's how much Bible you retain, okay? So I've talked to people before, they're like, I read 10 chapters today, what was it about? They're like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> slow the roll, right? Pick, pick bite-sized chunks, right? Chew your food, feed your soul a bit at a time, and that's what Proverbs does. Number three, prayer. Prayer is how we talk to God. Scripture is how God talks to us. Wisdom is imparted through examples and through articulation and communication. So what I'm talking about here is prayer. Don't pray at the end, pray at the beginning. Don't pray for God to bless your plan, pray for God's plan. Many of us are frustrated because we keep telling God what to do and he won't do it. Well, if he did, then we'd be God. And so the point of prayer is to align our heart, our will, our plan with God's intent. And it's, well, okay, God, help me figure out my marriage, my kids, my money. God, I got decisions to make. I welcome you in. And part of praying includes worshiping and singing. Uh, number four, general revelation. What this is that God creates people in his image and likeness. And some people have wisdom, even if they don't know the Lord, because they've dealt with cause and effect in reality. And so a doctor or, or other professional might be of incredible help. Um, when I was a kid, we lived in a kind of a rough neighborhood up until about age 10. And I just wanted to learn. I was that weird, curious kid. I didn't know the Lord, but the library was maybe a couple miles away. I'd get on my bike and I'd go to the library and I'd check out books and magazines. And I live next to the airport and planes were always coming and going. I'm trying to figure out, well, what are these countries like? And what are these states like? And what is the world like? And I didn't know the Lord, but even through general revelation and just a curiosity, God kept me from some trouble. In addition, um, you can find wisdom in what we like to call wise counsel. Grace and I have wise counsel. We have godly older people that we are under the authority of and that we run our decisions by, including the planting of this church three years ago. And some people have wisdom and, and you can look at their life and you see the fruit of the wisdom. You guys love each other. How do you do that? Your kids like you, right? How do you do that? You, you, you architected a good home or a business or a ministry. How did you do that? Wise counsel is finding people who are wise and then asking them to make a deposit into you. In addition, sometimes wisdom is learned through experience. How many of you, the biggest lessons you have learned are through the biggest mistakes you have made? It's true, right? So let me just say this, we're all gonna blow it. We're all gonna fail. We're all gonna make a foolish decision. We're all gonna have a self-inflicted wound. And the key is to learn from it. This is the difference. The difference between a wise person and a foolish person is not that they make a mistake or make a foolish decision. The foolish person keeps doing it and the wise person course corrects. It's dealing with reality. 
And a lot of life is through experience. And I would say this to parents, as our kids are getting older, we've been honest to them about some of the sins and failures and follies when we were their age, hoping that they trust us. And that's the last point, is that you can not only learn from your experience, but from the experience of others. As you read Proverbs, what you will find is that, um, that ultimately as God is communicating through these parents to these children, it is in large part a parenting book that the parents will use examples of other people, not judgmental, self-righteous and critical, but observatory. Hey son, do you see that? See that house over there? Yeah, dad, the roof's janky and weeds in the yard. Yeah, that's called deferred maintenance. If you don't maintain your home, this is what happens. There's some stuff in Proverbs too that's super practical. Chapter five, father talking to his son. See that guy over there? Yeah. What's wrong with him, dad? He's got a venereal disease. This is in Proverbs. Some of you are like, it's an old book. Well, things never change, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> well, why is he so sick, dad? Well, he was running around on his wife and he got, he got a disease. Oh. Write that down, son, stay home, <laughs> write that down. It's practical and sometimes it's, it's let, my friend calls it letting other people pay your dump tax, okay? What does this look like? Let me give you one little case study for those of you who are parents, caregivers, grandparents. It looks like Daniel. Daniel's not perfect, but he's wise. The book of Daniel covers his life, you can read it be a great parenting study for you. He grows up in a very conservative religious environment. They go to church on Saturday. They have a diet that's committed to the Lord. They memorize the scriptures. Everybody in his family orbit all agrees. They all worship the same God. He's a teenager, most likely middle school, high school. What happens is he gets abducted and taken to where? Babylon. It is rebellious. Yeah, now imagine this. Imagine a family is very conservative. So they move up to the mountains here in the valley. They go off the grid. There's no cell phone, no TV, homeschool, home church. Somebody kidnaps the kid and drops them off in Vegas. And there they are with their straw hat and their corncob pipe and their overalls like, yeehaw, I'm in Vegas. If that kid's 14, it's probably not gonna end well, right? That's Daniel in Babylon. And a couple of things it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and that he had wisdom and he chose good friends. And when decisions needed to be made, he made wise decisions. You need to know this. You and I are raising children in Babylon. If we just let the gravitational force of this universe raise our children, that gravitational force will drag them down to hellish behavior. That it takes wisdom to rise above the gravity of the culture in which we are raising children. And some people think if I could just get a good environment, let me tell you this, the most important environment is internal. Daniel had a bad external environment but a good internal environment. And so my next point is simply this, start with the heart. Say, well, where do I start parenting? Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, first priority, whatever's on your to-do list, bump this to the top. Above all else, what? Guard your heart. 
Your heart is mentioned over 900 times in the Bible. It's the seat, sum, and center of who you are. It's out of the heart that our decisions are made and our emotions are felt and our words are spoken and our relationships are forged and formed. And what he's talking about here is that the heart is upstream and behavior is downstream. Guard your heart. And I would say this to those of you who are single, be careful, don't just give your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. That's why some people have heartbreak. They gave their heart when they should guard their heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, the behavior is external, but the battle is internal. If you wanna make any headway in any relationship, starting with your child, the issue is to get the heart. Once you get the heart, the rest will sort itself out. Without the heart, nothing will sort itself out. So we'll talk a little bit about the heart of parenting. And the first is this, kids reveal the parent's heart. How many of you have noticed this? Okay, some of you are like, I thought we were talking about the kids, Pastor Mark. Yeah, we'll get to them in a minute. Let's talk about you. Your child reveals your heart. This is why some of you don't like your child because they reveal your character, right? So sometimes what we're thinking is, if this kid would just obey and do what I want and knock it off and make my life happen, then everything would be fine. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. The child, they didn't cause you to have that content in your heart. Through their behavior, they just exposed you. What's in comes out under pressure. So how do you know as a parent, the condition of your heart. Well, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. If you raise your voice and are screaming at your kids, there's a problem with your heart. If you're cursing at your kids, there's a problem with your heart. If you're name calling and berating and shaming your kids, there's a problem with your heart. If you're dealing with their behavior in front of others, rather than privately, there's a problem with your heart. And if you look at your kid and say something like, why don't you just do what I tell you and make my life easier? There's a problem with your heart. And if you look at your kid and say, hey, knock it off. What are people gonna think of us? There's a problem in your heart. So the point is this, parenting starts not with their heart, it starts with your heart. As the parent, the teacher, the coach, the caregiver, the person in authority. So where do you begin? you gotta bring your heart to God. God, here's my heart. And I would just say this today. If you had to pick one word to describe your heart, what would it be today? Broken, hopeful, scared, bitter, hard. God, here's my heart. Change my heart. And what you're inviting then is God as a father wants to parent your heart. God has a heart for you and your child. God wants to fix your heart so that you have the father's heart and then you and the father can go deal with the child's heart. Problems happen in parenting when we don't bring our heart to God and then God doesn't go with us to parent the child because our heart is not consistent and congruent with God's heart. This is where parenting is so challenging. Let's just be honest. How many of you have a kid who drives you crazy? They know all the buttons and they are a master at pushing. Let me ask it again. Um, 
not do you have a child that does this, but do you just have a child? Because if you have a child, that's exactly what they do. And some of your kids are so good, they're like, you get me into the worst version of myself. You send me into orbit. You just make me freak out. Okay, it's a heart issue, not a kid's issue. Their heart is exposing your heart. And what your child needs and what the parent needs is a new heart. Only Jesus Christ gives a new heart. This is the promise of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. The Bible says that God takes out our old heart and if we belong to Jesus, he gives us a new heart. Now we wanna do things differently. We wanna grow to be like Jesus. We wanna, we wanna make some changes because the how-to must be preceded by the want to, and that's a hard issue. And let me just say this, you may be a Christian family and in covenant with God, but your child may not yet know Christ. So rather than just yelling about their behavior, see if they can give their heart to Jesus and get a new heart. This was a revelation to me when the kids were really little. Grace's daddy was a pastor, Gib. He passed away a few years ago. But some of our kids were acting up, just freaking out. I looked at them, I'm like, man, these kids are really, you know, it's like a prison riot today. They're really giving me a run for my money. And he said, uh, well, they don't have a new heart yet. It's like, oh, that's right. They've been born, but they've not been born again. So I can deal with the behavior all day or have their heart inclined toward Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. And if so, they'll grow in wisdom. Here's why I tell you this. We see the behavior, but the battle is in the heart. And when it comes to parenting, there are four kinds of kids. Um, bad heart, bad behavior. Have you met this kid? They're a tiny terrorist. They're, the only difference between them and a big terrorist is just size. They would do more damage, but they don't have a driver's license and they're not six foot tall yet. This, and you can tell this, right? Some parents will be like, oh, kids have such good hearts. Have you seen them? They, they assault one another. That's what they, if they were adults, they'd all be in prison. This is where you just see a kid with a truck. He sees another kid with a truck. He picks up the truck. He walks over, he hits the kid with a truck and then he steals the other truck, <laughs> right? And I, this is not a hypothetical, amen? Some of you are like, please tell me you don't have any trucks back in kids ministry. My son's there. That's what he's probably doing right now, okay? <laughs> And sometimes the parents will be like, oh, they have a good heart. No, they do not, Mrs. Bin Laden. That child <laughs> is bad, okay? Bad heart, good behavior. Oh, how many of you were this? So, okay, now let's do this. Some of you are like, let me think about the kids. No, let's think about you first. What kind of kid were you? How many of you were the bad heart, good behavior? <laughs> You were self-righteous, religious. You loved to torment your siblings and manipulate your parents. And you did it with a smile and total compliance, right? Uh, mom, yeah, I, I, I didn't do it, but Johnny, you know, kind of got into the ice cream. And since I didn't do it, I feel like you should spank him and maybe then I should get some ice cream. What do you think, mom? <laughs> oh. Or you're the sibling that torments the other kid until they freak out and then they get punished for, <gasps> he hit me. You were poking him for seven days, every moment, right? You're in the back, how many of you had that kid in the back seat? I'm, I'm, I'm reliving our upbringing. So I look back one time in the rearview mirror and I see one kid, 
doing this to the other kid for like a four hour car trip. And about four hours in, the kid's like, knock it off and hit them. And they're like, they hit me. It's like, they are a captive. This is a prisoner of war situation. Bad heart, good behavior, right? Good heart, bad behavior. Your kids are gonna make mistakes and they're not always sins. Religious parenting can't differentiate a mistake and a sin. Mistake is you learn through trial and error. You meant to do well, but you didn't do well. I'll give you an example. The first time you give your kid a cup that has no lid, what will they do with it? They're gonna spill it. And they're learning how to hold it, right? That's what's gonna happen. They're gonna make a mistake. You and I, as the children of God, need to know that God allows us through trial and error to learn stuff, and we're gonna need to allow our children through trial and error to learn stuff. And sometimes a kid has a good heart, and they just messed up trying to do the right thing or they had a good heart and they thought they were doing the right thing, but they just need to be educated. They didn't know that that wasn't right. Let me say this too. The first time that your child tries to prepare a meal for themselves, what will happen? A disaster is going to happen in your kitchen, but that's how they learn. Lastly, there's good heart, good behavior. Sometimes, you know, you get these windows, you're like, they love the Lord, they love others. I see evidence of the Holy Spirit. That was a great three seconds. I'm gonna hold on to that for hope in the future. And the reason I tell you this is ultimately parenting takes a relationship where you draw forth the heart of the child. Uh, God convicted me of this some years ago. One of our kids, you know, sometimes you get rebellious kids, sometimes you get compliant kids. This was one of our children who was very compliant, right? And they were being disobedient over the course of days. Bugging their sibling, yelling at their mom, just not, and I kept dealing with the behavior and God convicted me and said, you know, check the heart. Okay, I sit down with the kid, eye level, right? I love you, I'm your dad, talk to me here. You know, it's, you've just been acting up. You've been out of sorts, you're usually a good kid, but lately you've been, been acting up. So is there something going on? Is there something I need to know about? No, daddy, it's fine. They're crying. Okay, there's something, there's something, but they don't wanna tell me. I said, well, you can tell me. They're like, no, I can't tell you. Okay, well, now I'm really concerned. I asked the child, I said, what's going on? They said, well, they finally broke down. I prayed over them, hugged them, kissed them. I said, just tell daddy what's going on. I wanna help. They said, well, dad, at night, a mean man shows up in my room and he says horrible things about Jesus and our family and he scares me and I, I haven't been sleeping very much. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, he said that if I told you that he would hurt our family my child was experiencing demonic torment. They knew the Lord at a young age. They were filled with the spirit at a young age. We at that time were doing ministry with punk rock kids and drug addicts and prostitutes and just really frontline ministry. The church had lost, we were newly married couple had lost its offices. So we moved everything into our house. And one year we had over 2000 people in our home. And some of them were very troubled. And, and something spiritual was tormenting my daughter. And if I would have continued to discipline her behavior, I would have crushed her spirit and I would have wrecked her heart. 
And once I saw, I was like, oh, honey, okay, we can exercise authority with Jesus. You know, I'm gonna come in and check on you every night. And if you need, I'll sleep here on the floor for a while. And, you know, anything to help. The behavior matters, but not nearly as much as the heart. Amen? Okay. Tips for training. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible on training a child, Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, that's a principle, not a promise. That's a principle, not a promise. And let me say some things about training. Number one, parents are primary. Praise God for teachers, praise God for coaches, praise God for mentors, praise God for kids ministry, but parents are primary. Parents are primary. Number two, every child is trained. Not every child is trained in wisdom. Some of you are like, I don't train my kids. You're training them. You're training them that they don't matter and that wisdom is not a priority. Parenting is about sowing and reaping. There's no one who plants a seed in the morning and eats the fruit for dinner. What you're doing now is sowing, 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 sowing into the future and eventually the harvest comes. In addition, repetition is required. As you read Proverbs, here's what you will find. It repeats itself a lot. The book could be so much shorter. Why does it keep saying the same thing? Because we forget. This is how God parents us. This is how we need to parent. Because you can't look at your kid and say, all right, here's the deal. We love people. You got that? Great. Glad that's over with. No, you're going to have to revisit that. Love is going to be a regular conversation, not just a one-time conversation. In addition, mom and dad need to have a unified vision for the training of the child because the training of the child is, here's how we do it and this is what we're asking of you. But if mom and dad disagree, they have two visions, that literally means division. Jesus says a house divided falls down, can't stand up, which means sometimes mom and dad just need to get on the same page privately before they step out and present the decision to the family publicly. How many of you, you grew up in a home where mom and dad didn't agree and you worked it, you worked it big time. If I ask dad, it's yes. If I ask mom, it's no. So you're always playing one against the other and it causes division in the home. You need to be unified. You need to be unified if you're gonna train a child. In addition, training can be exhausting because Class is always in session and the kids have the biggest lessons at the least convenient times, amen? You're like, it's Friday night. I tucked you in 27 times. I read the Jesus Storybook Bible. I, I cast the demon out of you. I, I, I just want to sit down and pray for the rapture so I could leave forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> A lot of moms are like, do you, do you watch the security camera at my house? That's, that's exactly what happened last night. In addition, I like to teach this to parents. It's a leadership principle. There's a difference between a view, a voice, and a vote. Okay? A view is, hey kids, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. A voice says, hey, what do you think? Where do you wanna go to dinner? What do you want for Christmas? What do you guys wanna do for holiday break? And then there's the vote who makes the decision. And what happens is sometimes we don't give kids a view or a voice 
and we're not teaching them to grow up and vote. They don't know how to make decisions. They just know how to do what they're told. Ultimately, you want them to see what you're, so let me say this as well. Tell the children, teach the children, this is part of training, what to do, how to do it, and why to do it. What to do, how to do it, why to do it. This could be for parents, caregivers, grandparents, coaches. I'll give you an example. Uh, we have had the honor of taking the kids all over the world. When they were very little, starting like, I think our youngest was two, our first international trip. Kids have been to Greece, Israel, Turkey, Australia, Scotland. They've been all over the world. And we were getting ready for our first trip. And I had a business trip a week or two or something like that before. And uh, I showed up at the airport and going through the security with me was a family with a bunch of little kids. And the kids were like, done. We're, we're at the beginning of the TSA line, which is where your heart is revealed, amen? If you, don't know, <laughs> if you don't know what the condition of your heart is, just go to the airport and go through security and you'll find out very quickly where your heart is at. And so the kids though, they were, they're dragging the bunny, they're, Booger out of their nose. They're like, these lines are stupid. Why are these lines so long? Why don't people just move? That's a great question. We're all wondering it. We just didn't say it. Now, then they're like, okay, now I gotta take my stuff out of my bag. Why do I gotta take my stuff? Out? And, then, and then they go through and then they're waiting. So they're on my flight. They're just like, when is the plane gonna be here? Did someone steal our plane? Why do we not have a plane? I was like, okay. And then we get on the plane. They're like, oh my gosh, the lines are so long. And everybody's looking at the parents like, put them in the overhead bin. That's where those kids need to go. They need to go in the overhead bin. The kids sit down and the parents are like, you need to use your seatbelt. I don't want a seatbelt. You can't get up and run down the aisle. Oh, you know what? The parents didn't tell them what was gonna happen. Here's what the parents told them. We're going to Disneyland. They show up there, but they're like, this ain't it. <laughs> now we go through hell and then we go to heaven. I'm just telling you, here's how it's gonna go. It's gonna be a long line. You're gonna have to sit down. This is how it's gonna, because they don't know. Amen? Last two, maybe. I always say that. Not that I'm done or near done. I just want you to still pay attention. So the next one is to emphasize delight over discipline. This is again a fairly well-known scripture by many of God's people. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, my son. Okay, what you're seeing here is, I like to call it connect before you correct. Connect before, my son, not you son of a, right? <laughs> my son, probably shouldn't have said it like that, but you got the point, okay? It's my son. What that is, is I love you, my heart is for you, this relationship matters, I'm committed to your well-being. That makes it easier to access the heart of the child. Do not despise the Lord's what? Discipline. God doesn't punish you, but he will correct you so that you can enjoy life and relationship with him and others. And do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Some parents will read this verse and there's a discipline knob and a delight knob. They'll turn the delight knob down and they'll turn the discipline knob up. I want you to turn the discipline knob down and turn the delight knob up. I want that volume louder. 
Because delight is constant, discipline is occasional. The point of life is to enjoy your kid and together to have hearts for the Lord. And I'm not talking about a perfect family. We're not a perfect family, but I am talking about a, a spirit-filled, wise, enjoyable family. My kids are growing up. I always give them a kiss. Hey, how's my blessing? Thank you for being in my life. It's so fun to have you around. They knew exactly how I felt about them. And I was like, we're gonna make memories and we're gonna have fun and it's gonna be awesome. Because how many of you were raised in homes? It was only discipline. Like, man, if my parents are like, we need to talk to you, you're like, what did I do wrong now? It was never planning fun. Right? Some of you are like, gosh, it was just discipline, 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 discipline. Let me tell you this, that's how you break the heart of the child. God doesn't parent you like that. God delights in you. That's what it says. Before you discipline the child, you need to delight in them. And unless you delight in them, you have no right to discipline them. This will sound a little crazy. Let me just ask it in the form of a question. Do you believe that God loves you? What's your answer? Do you believe that God likes you? Okay. God likes you. That's, that's what he's saying. I delight to know you. I delight in being in your life. I, I, I'm making memories and we're having fun. Amen? You don't rebel against a parent who delights in you nearly as frequently or likely than a parent who only disciplines you. Hey, I love you. We're making memories. We're making fun. Oh yeah, that was a little off. Okay, let's correct that so we can get back to the good times. And what I would say is take photos and make videos and make memories and, and have fun, have fun. I'm the dad, I've got maybe 100,000 photos and videos. I capture everything and I like to show the kids, hey, when you were three, we had fun. And when you're 13, we could still have fun. And when you're 33, we could still have fun. Life has had a lot of memories and awesome opportunities. And, and I enjoy every season. And this is awesome doing life with you. That's exactly how I feel about my kids. They're my favorite people along with Grace. And I just love doing stuff with the family, take memories. So I'm that dad every year, first day of school, I do the video. What day is it? First day of school. I got all the videos all the way up to college. I mean, I just, I love it. And occasionally we'll just sit down like, okay, let's throw it up on Apple TV. Let's look at it on the laptop. And then they remember, oh, we had a lot of, kids will look at the photos and videos and say things like, we had a lot of fun. We made a lot of memories. Boy, you took us everywhere. Yes, cause I like you. And I like doing life with you. And I believe that God likes me, not cause I'm likable, obviously, but because that's his heart. That's his heart. That's his heart. Lastly, parenting is seasonal. Proverbs 31, 28, famous scripture for the ladies, talks about a mother. One day her children rise up and call her blessed. Does this happen early on? No, no. It's not like they have diarrhea, they're teething and throwing a fit at three o'clock in the morning and you walk in the room and they're like, there is my blessed mother. I... <laughs> Thank you for bringing the presence of God into this situation. It's an honor to have you. No, no, no. This takes time. 
It's seasonal. It's like gardening, sowing and watering and pruning and weed pulling, and then eventually eating the fruit of the harvest. Recently, as I told you, our kids are on the verge of birthdays, 14, 16, 18, 20, and 22. And uh, one of our kids recently was talking to me and I was like, you sure have a good mom. And they said, quote, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. They said, mommy's the best. And I was like, well, you know, mommy and daddy are the best. You know, like, uh, like you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> so pray for my heart, obviously. So, <laughs> they're starting to, hey, mom, thanks for staying home. Mom, thanks for running me to baseball games. Mom, thanks for helping me with my homework. Mom, thanks for giving me a nutritious diet. All the things when they're little, they're fighting you on. When they get older, if they're in wisdom, they're gonna thank you for. And then this verse is one of the most shocking to me in all of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, six, and it's talking about different seasons. First season is at the end, right? Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the age. How many of you are grandparents? Okay, just shout a few words how you feel from the heart about your grandkids. Love, fun, they're amazing, we enjoy them. We just feed them and then send them home. We don't have them all the time, it's perfect, okay? We don't have to pay for it all, it's amazing. How many of you like your grandkids? You love your grandkids? You really enjoy your grandkids, right? How you raise your kids determines how you're gonna experience your grandkids. It's generational legacy, family system. And if there is wisdom, here's what's shocking. Parents are the pride of their children. God says, if the spirit is present and people are walking in wisdom, there will reach a day when the grandparents are like, we love these grandkids. And the parents will look at their, excuse me, the children will look at their parent and say, you're amazing. I thank God for you. God wants children to be as excited for their parents as grandparents are excited for their grandchildren. This doesn't happen of itself, it takes a miracle. This doesn't happen perfectly and this doesn't happen quickly. But walking in wisdom, this can happen possibly. But everybody's gonna need to sign up for it and walk in wisdom. I really enjoy my kids. I know we're gonna make great grandparents. Grace and I, we've got a pact. We're gonna be the best grandparents in the history of the world. <laughs> but to get there, I need to raise my kids so that they feel about me that one day I'll feel about their kids. And that's on me as a parent. And it's seasonal. So let me just, let me just close with this. Life has seasons. There's conception to birth. You are a parent once you're pregnant. You're preparing your heart in your home, your birthing classes, and we gotta get stuff, and we need a car seat, and we need a crib, and all of this stuff. And then the baby is born, birth to 18 months. You know what it is? It's physically exhausting. Because the baby, you, what do you do? You gotta feed the baby, but then what does the baby do? They just get rid of all the food. It's like a, it's like a horrible sprinkler. You put, you're like, man, the kid's got fluids coming out everywhere. 
and then they get sick and then they're teething and then they need to be burped and then they're throwing up and then they poop themselves again. Ah, they're exhausting. And then they reach a point where they start putting everything in their mouth. I had a kid who was addicted to batteries. I was like, what the, they're just like, what are you doing? Like, I, don't, I don't understand what we're doing. So all of a sudden then you're on suicide watch all the time. You can't sleep. You're like, man, we don't have any knives. We only eat with spoons, you know? What happens then? It's true, right? The moms are all like, ah, those are the moms who be on these years, okay? The moms that are still in these years, it's not funny, it's tragic. And what happens then is you get toddlers 18 months to three years. This is where you can reason with them and dialogue and explain stuff. And in this phase, they learn a powerful word called, oh, you've heard of this word, <laughs> the word no. Are you gonna obey? Nope. Are you gonna clean your room? No, no. They get rebellious, that's when they really need a new heart. They also learn emotional regulation. Hey, stop freaking out. You're not the center of the universe, right? There's other people here. They learn friendships, relationships, rules. Then you go into the preschool years, three to six. This is consistent training. This is a lot of verbal instructing and correcting and redirecting. They're learning how to have friendships. They're learning how to serve people. They're learning some chores and responsibilities. The parents are not doing everything. Now there are some things that they are responsible for. And what happens then is you hit the school age years, ages six to 12, you're really focusing on character, identity formation. Let's just be honest, puberty's weird, awkward, right? It's a difficult time. In addition, it's an identity crisis for most kids. They're like, who am I? Before my identity was largely shaped as a member of the family, but now I go to school and I'm not with my family. So, so who am I? This is where kids will change their dress. And I'm the jock kid, am I the goth kid? Am I the Harry Potter kid? You know, Whatever the case may be, like what group am I in? Who do I sit with at lunch? And it, it's, it's a lot of conversation and it's gonna take a lot of grace and love and patience asking questions and some teenagers, they don't reveal anything. So you gotta ask questions and listen and leave the awkward silence. And then you hit the teen years and then you hit the young adult years. The teen years are difficult. The young adult years start after they graduate from high school. Let me ask you this, is, is an 18 year old fully cooked? No. Some of you are like, I'm 17. You're not fully cooked, okay? What happens in our culture, parents will be high control, make all the decisions. They're 18 now, they make their own decisions. Like, no, they can get pregnant now or take out a credit card or drive a car. <laughs> they still need parenting. The stupidest thing our culture does is we overparent and then we stop parenting. And ultimately, it reaches the point where they become adults and they need to be responsible to pay their own bills. And as you're parenting adult children, your goal, your responsibility should be to number one, lift burdens, and number two, provide wisdom. How can I help? You need to watch the kids? You guys need money for a radiator? You know, what, what can I do to help? How do we lift a burden? And how do we give wise counsel? How do we help you navigate this season? 
Um, here's what happens. Most of the conflict between parents and children is that the parent and the child have not agreed that they're moving into the next phase of parenting. How many of you, you're like, mom, that was fine when I was three, but I'm 33. I can eat a sandwich with crust. I can do it. I can do it. I'm a big boy, right? And it's not that parenting in those younger years was wrong. It was just for a season and then that season comes to an end. And let me just say this, every season is wonderful. Every season has amazing memories and experiences to enjoy with your children and also obstacles to overcome. Never look at your kids and say, I miss the little years. No, I love those years and I love these years. They're all gifts. I'll close with a story. And by that, I mean, I actually will close. Um, <laughs> What does this look like? There was a, uh, there's a man, he's one of our pastors, somebody we love holding very high regard, hanging out with him is like hanging out with the book of Proverbs. And um, he's a grandpa now and he's got a ministry and his son is the president of the ministry, does everything with his dad, travels with him, speaks with him, does everything with him. So I asked the son who's a little younger than me and has little kids. It's like, what's it like doing life ministry, traveling with your dad? And he, he just lit up. He said, I love my dad. My dad's one of my favorite people. I love traveling with my dad. I love golfing with my dad. I love hanging out with my dad. I just love being with my dad. Wow. He said, yeah, so much so that we just bought a house two doors down from my parents. How many of you, that would cure your joyful relationship? Like, wow, you moved two doors down. How did that work out? It's like, it's awesome. My parents are, are really great. And what they said was, the door to their home is always open. Kids and grandkids are welcome at any time for any reason, but the door to our home is closed and they will not come to our house unless they are invited. He said, so by moving there, and I'm paraphrasing the conversation, we're not one big family. Mom and dad have their family and we have our family and there's a bridge into their household, but they respect our boundaries and let us be a family not just part of the extended family. That's wise, amen? So I went to the dad, who's now the grandpa, and I said, uh, okay, from your perspective, how did this happen? Because this is an end zone I wanna get in, right? I wanna drive toward this. And he said, uh, he said there was a, a day of healing in our relationship. He said, we were out on the golf course, I think his son was a teenager and he looked at his son and he's, he just felt convicted of the Holy Spirit. Son, I love you. I know you do, Dad. But son, is there anything that I've said or done that has hurt you, wounded you, broken you, any burdens you're carrying, any frustrations you have? How could I be a better dad, parent to you in this season? How could I be more helpful? That's humility. And humility is the foundation of wisdom. And then he listened without arguing. And the son looked at the dad and said, why are you so hard on me? And the dad was thinking, well, I see great potential in you, so I wanna push you. He said, but dad, I push myself. I have high expectations. I'm internally motivated. And when, when I have my pressure and your pressure, it's too much and it crushes me. Dad, I don't need you to push me. I need you to encourage me. Father looked at the son and repented. Son, I'm sorry. You're right. Thank you for sharing that. Will you please forgive me? And they prayed together and God healed their relationship. 
And the dad told me, he said, if we didn't have that day when he was a teenager, we would not have the relationship with our kids and grandkids that we do today. Parenting is not about getting it right, but being humble, walking in wisdom, and by the grace of God, making it right, even when you've gotten it wrong. Father, thanks for an opportunity to teach at this church family. Holy Spirit, we invite you, the spirit of wisdom, to give us the character of Christ and to illuminate the next steps of the journey through Babylon with our families. Lord God, I pray for the families in this church to be God-centered and wisdom prioritized, that above all else, as Proverbs says, that we would seek wisdom and hold on to it and use it because we need it. God, I pray that the children in this church would have parents with new hearts, loving hearts, the Father's heart for their children. I pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the homes. And Father, I thank you that heaven is called the Father's house. And God, I pray that the houses in this church family would carry forth the aroma, the fragrance, the atmosphere of the Father's house. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to now make this our big family living room, uh, the Father's house, where the children of God are loved and delighted in. In Jesus' name, amen.